Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. This podcast is all about talking about race and diversity in New Zealand, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. And I'd like to welcome Tan back onto the podcast again. Woo-hoo. Hi, thanks for having me again. <laughs> thanks for coming on again. <laughs> um, so if you didn't catch the first episode um, with Tan, Tan is part of the organising committee for the Race Unity um, Speech Awards and also the HUI. Um, so these guys do some really, really awesome work. And recently they released their um, youth statement on race relations in Aotearoa. So they got um, a whole bunch of young people in New Zealand from all different cultures, um, races, religions and backgrounds to come together and to talk about race and racism in New Zealand and how do we come together um, as a community and how do we become a united body. Um, And from that document there were four key themes that kind of came about from that. Um, And I'd love to talk more about that document with you if that's alright. Sure, happy to. Um, so we touched upon the last episode, we were talking about that second theme, so education can reinforce racism or help eradicate it. And one of the really cool things that um, I picked up on was, um, many teachers and school administrators are motivated by a love for learning and a concern for social justice, and yet we have seen and heard many examples of unconscious bias and explicit racism in the classroom. Um, so you're a teacher, that's what you do for your full-time thing. Um, how, as a teacher, how does race come up in the, in the classroom? Yeah, um, I, I, first of all, I'm, I'm really lucky in, in my, I guess, my very short teaching career. Um, I've been in a position as someone who's teaching in the social sciences to really actually for both race to be something to be aware of and thinking about, but also something that is part of content that I'm talking about so mm-hmm. talking about some of these issues with, with some of my students but I guess taking a step back um, I think first of all like when when I think about what what do, what are we actually describing when we talk about racism in schools there's things like that recent Children's Commissioner report which came out a year or two ago um, I don't know if you know much about the report no um, please, yeah, please yeah I'll just maybe try yeah. quickly summarise it so uh, basically in this report um, the Children's Commission went out and wanted to survey and get a sense of you know, what are the issues that uh, need to be worked towards improving in schools. And they didn't actually identify racism as one of those issues. They went out and interviewed students, and racism became one of the sections in, the, in this report because um, they talked to students, and students told them their teachers were explicitly racist or their schools had biases in them, and, um, and that was a, a major issue for them. So I think that document for me as the starting point for it going actually you know descriptively there is racism in the schools in New Zealand mm-hmm. um, yeah but I guess so my experience um, you know I'm not I'm not the most experienced teacher but already I think there's a number of things that I could point to that I think are helping me to shape how I think about race and racism in schools mm-hmm. so for example um, just through the process of uh, um, observing other teachers and and um, mentoring relationships and and things like that um you know teaching such a relationships-based profession and so we 
you know, we really are our true identity as teachers in mm-hmm. the classroom. And so we bring with us all the baggage and all the stuff that conscious and unconscious um, affects how we interact with students. And so, um, I, you know, I've even, you know, seen myself with, with teachers sometimes really uh, supportive of many teachers, but there's, um, you know, just a way in which... Um, say a, a minority student, a Pacifica student, a Maori student um, in a classroom might just be subtly reacted to differently or the relationship might be different and the teacher might not be as aware of that. Um, that's something you know I have seen just in my small experience. What support do teachers get when it comes to teaching a class when you have different cultures in the same room? Th- there's... Why well, I suppose... First of all, at, at a school level, each school in New Zealand is such a little bubble of culture and of structures, mm. and each school is so different, so it's hard to speak uh, in some ways on a general level about that. But mm-hmm. I guess structurally, you know, at the top there's, um, there are documents um, specifically focused on uh, you know, uh, supporting Pacific students and Pacific values and what those are, and, and the same for uh, Māori students, uh, and that's something that you know, through teachers' training we look at. Um, but that's sort of at the top from the top down direction that's kind of where it ends mm-hmm. uh, and then it really just comes down to the effort teachers are making to think about these things um, whether or not there's well supported you know uh, Māori Pacific deans in their school mm-hmm. uh, things like that mm, that's really interesting I'm glad that it's being um, incorporated into your training so then when you do become you know as you are now when you do become teachers it's something that's on the back of your mind um, and it's something that you're at least aware of before you go teaching into the classroom um, so we've kind of just talked about how teachers react to students but as a teacher do you see um, race or racism coming up between students or students directing it towards teachers I personally haven't seen that mm-hmm. but I suppose one one observation I'm not sure if it does come up in the statement or not but there's there's this thing that you know, New Zealand schools, um, even even schools where maybe there isn't much explicit racism, there's still some things that we can identify uh, if we're using the lens of race and, and think, well, is there something more we can do about this? So, for example, the fact that in many schools in New Zealand, uh, you know, the kind of cliques that we are part of and the friend groups that we have are often along the lines of racial identity. Mm. Um and I, and I so say true. that, you know, I, I say that not to imply that's a bad thing um, or to imply that that's something that, you know, we need to change mm-hmm. or fix. But I, I, think, I think it is something that, you know, that highlights that there's still ways to go in terms of, uh, you know, creating spaces where um, students from, with different racial identities can really meaningfully interact and share culture and be more comfortable mm. with that. Like, I think seeing that in schools... Um, it does mean it does mean something. I don't know. What do you What do you think? Uh, just going back to the click thing. Yeah, that's something that is really interesting for me because, um, you know, how they like stratify kids and by skill into classes. Yeah. And so because I was um, in the higher end of the classes, I was always that token black girl in the class, and so I never really hung out with like. And then that was a barrier for me hanging out with other people from my culture because they were like oh well you're in the fancy classes and you clearly don't need to hang out with us um but it's something that I definitely notice like people really do congregate in their um you know racial cliques and I think 
yes, it's it's not not necessarily a bad thing because like when I first moved to Lower Hutt, I had no friends, and so I got taken in by the Somali group of girls, and I'm so grateful for that because they really looked after me for the first couple of months that I was at um, you know in Lower Hutt. Um, but it does create a barrier to understanding other people because you don't get challenged at all if you're hanging around people from the same culture because you'll most likely have the same trends or the same way of thinking about the world. And we've we come to school and also just, just outside of school we should always be challenged and we should always have our horizons expanded I feel like. So yeah I feel like it, it definitely can be a barrier mm. Mm. yeah and, and I think definitely uh, like m- m- one conception of school that I have is that you know it really is for, for many students it's the first institution of society that they interact mm. with and that's so important like it's this little microcosm of society and of that community that you're from and so anything that we're seeing in that school is going to both reinforce and be reflected in the community around it mm. That's so true. Um, and then another thing that statement kind of picked up on was um, we have seen and heard many examples of unconscious bias and explicit racism. And this is an interesting one because I feel like people get really up in arms if you call them a racist, if they sh- say something really hateful or ignorant, or if they have this reoccurring behavior that can be associated with a racist but then to call someone a racist is just an, is on another level of how dare you like I'm not a racist like I have black friends or I have this or I'm not a racist because of this and that and um yeah so uh, what I would like to say is uh, <laughs> just recording at the moment <laughs> um but what I really want to know your thoughts is where is the line between like subscribing to your unconscious bias and then just straight up being a racist? Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really good that's a really good question. Um, I've, I'm going to go on a little tangent here because actually yeah, sure, with my I love going on <laughs> cool. that's what we're all about so, here. <laughs> so uh, with um, some of my students, uh, we we've been talking about institutional racism. And we actually went and did the, I don't know if you heard of this sort of Stanford sort of psychological test of unconscious biases. So you can go online and do this test. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, it's not something that you should take as this will tell you what your unconscious biases are. It's, it's kind of a social measurement. Mm-hmm. It's more for Stanford than for us. But mm-hmm. nevertheless, it kind of goes, here's your unconscious bias. And so we did it. And, you know, I did the test and it told me that I was slightly biased towards white people over black people. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay. That seems, that seems right. And my students were sort of all over the place in terms of where they sat. Just um, to clarify, because you can't see Tan, but I can. Um, he's, he's a white guy, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point to yeah. make, yeah. So it, that's why I said it makes sense. Yeah. That, you know, I've grown up um, in predominantly white communities, um, and so I'm not super surprised that mm. at an unconscious, unconscious level, you know, that's where I have a bias. Um, but anyway, I think that sort of coming back to that question of the difference between unconscious bias and, and racism or how we talk about and label these things I, I think I think it's a really cool thing to think about because you know really we all have our unconscious biases and race is this, such a visible um, identifier for people um, and so it, it's it's no surprise that you know we know that the environment you grow up in affects, affects all that affects the way in which 
um, we sort of see through, we see people and initially understand them. Um, and so, yeah, I guess thinking like, you know, do we? I think it's important to differentiate between the two because I guess when we, at least from my position, when I think about racism and I think about the importance of identifying it and, and labeling it, I think we need to try and at least generally focus on conscious racism, whether or not it's from mm. ignorance or not. Mm. If it's conscious, then that's the real problematic thing. If it's unconscious, we have the power to choose to overcome that, react to it or not, um, be more aware of it. Um, it's not something that we can, at least, uh, you know, I don't see it as something we can sort of uh, measure in the same way. Or, mm. Yeah. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, just my, I might also be going on a tangent as well. But I feel like unconscious bias isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think mm. the, where the bad aspect of it comes from is whether we act on it or not. Like, if your ignorant behaviours come from that unconscious bias, then I think you need to check yourself and be like, okay, I need to change. I need to change something. Because I think it's human nature to kind of have biases or tendencies, depending. It's just it's just a result of, like, how you've grown up, I suppose. But being conscious of that and mm. checking yourself constantly, making sure it doesn't result in bad, bad behaviours, that's where I think we really need to be responsible. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and yeah, definitely we still need to be talking about it, definitely, and calling it out. But maybe it just means in terms of context and power, like we talked about last time, um, we, we do need to be mindful of that. And if we're talking about that more unconscious bias, I think it's, at least how I've seen it, that it's a, it's a positive conversation you're having with someone. That's the way to, you know, we're, we're reflecting together on what are the biases we have um, and how do we go, you know, approach things to try and sort of overcome those um, and just with education in general, I think people would naturally think the best place to educate our kids and our community would be in schools. Um, if you were able to change the curricula or the structure of the system somehow, theoretically, what would you do to like make sure that education, that awareness is there for everyone? Mm. I think one answer I have to that would be uh, drawing on my sort of history side of teaching that I'm quite passionate about, mm -hmm. um, which would be something that also a lot of students, there was actually a petition a, a while ago um, to try and make uh, the colonial history of New Zealand compulsory. And Ooh, yeah, yes. so you can see how I, I think there's, a, there's actually quite an important relationship you know, between understanding the history of colonialism in New Zealand and being able to talk about race in New Zealand. Um, and being able to have these conversations and become more aware, I think that's a really important starting point that, um, you know, we know a lot of students miss, miss out on that in, in school right now. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's not to say that there aren't many passionate history teachers already doing it, but I think there, of course, could be more support for that and more structural support, especially. That's, that's a really important one, actually, because I feel like if you understood the colonial history of New Zealand more, then you'd understand um, why we need like needs-based scholarships and why 
you know, our Māori and Pacifica sisters and brothers are always showing up consistently in the bad statistics. If you know that history, it just kind of makes sense. You're like, ah, oh, there's that connection and there's that understanding or awareness of it more. Exactly. It, it, you're right. Like, we have, it's one of the answers that we already know exists. It's there and we know that that's how we can support, you know, the many New Zealanders who maybe in, in principle support ideas of biculturalism. Um, but when it comes to actually doing stuff about it and reallocating resources and giving needs-based scholarships uh, are, are really resistant. And, yeah, colonialism, understanding that history mm-hmm. is something that can really shift that and help us as, a, as communities and as a society to, to make that next step, mm-hmm. you know, to try and uh, achieve more equity and equality in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So switching from colonialism to another topic that I think naturally kind of um, flows from that systemic um, or institutional racism as a because I don't really talk about it that much um, on the podcast um, I just kind of talk about more pe- people's personal experiences with racism and how does it show up in their personal lives but that's another thing that we don't really talk about um, in New Zealand or, or just in general is syst- uh, institutional racism because I feel like because we don't have that outward racism then it's not a thing but it definitely is a thing and I think people who are of colour they will notice it when they apply for jobs when they are in our education system in our healthcare system Um, as a teacher have you have you picked up on um, institutional racism or what are your thoughts on that? I have yeah I think (laughs) I think this is where you know as teaching is my profession you know, and like I, like I said to you um, just before we started this, mm. um, I am sometimes overly frank, and I need to actually position myself. I need to make sure that you know, because I am speaking as a teacher, um, and I, I sort of do represent educational institutions in New Zealand. It's it's kind of a funny relationship to speaking about, you know, like how do I go about critiquing things and and being mm. critical in a way that is still constructive and also, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I guess I just want to speak very generally to that. Um, and so I think, I think there's no question that generally uh, there are, you know, there is institutional racism exists in schools. Mm-hmm. I think descriptively uh, we, can, we can know that, we can identify that based on uh, academic results as one measure, um, we can base it on uh, school leaving results, on mm. things like the Children's Commissioner Report. Uh, so I think definitely we can, in a general sense, say that. Um, and and like I said, I think because each school is its own little universe in a way, in many ways, mm. um, it, it does vary a lot. It does, yeah. It's something that I, when I was at school, I didn't really pick up on it at all, to be honest. I think I was just in my own little bubble of just worrying about like NCA. Um, but as I've gotten older, and especially being in the tertiary education system for many years now, I've noticed how institutional racism um, crops up. But yeah, thank you for lending your, your thoughts on that. Yeah. Especially as a teacher, I think that's really interesting. Um, so moving along to the third theme of this, the youth statement was we need places to talk about race and culture. And what I really loved about this theme is it kind of highlighted the need that we need places and spaces and opportunities for different people to connect. Because 
you know, like people are very embedded into their own routines and you don't really have that opportunity to, you know, meet someone from a different culture or different religion. You don't you don't really go out of your way to do that. But I mm. loved how this theme emphasized that fact that we need something to bring um, people together. Um, how do you see that? How do you see that theme yeah. happening in reality? Oh, uh, well, I mean, that's it's, it's a cool theme. It's something that... Uh, I, I think the the actual nature of the race unity hui um, maybe like uh, reinforce and help people think about it because people are looking at the space of the race unity hui and going, well, wow, look at all these different people with these different mm. opinions and perspectives and their you know diverse racial identities and all of this and going, well, why is it that I've never been in a space like this before? Why are there not more spaces like mm. this? How do we create these? And it, I mean, one of one of the one of the things that a, a lot of people identify, and I think quite rightly, is food is one of the most powerful ways. Food brings people yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah. So oh. you were talking about, you know, well, what can the, you know, what can the local council do to, to support more, um, you know, to improve race relations? Well, uh, give money to you know to community groups who want to do food, do stuff with food, help them <laughs> help them host events uh, where people can come and share food and interact meaningfully, have the, these cultural. Uh, in, you know, intercultural relations. Um, it makes me think of uh, there's a really cool case study. I, I forgot his name. Some, this academic did a, a really cool um, piece of research on a small town in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. They uh, they had funding for a community centre, and they went about doing that sort of planning and building this community centre with the the idea that there's these two communities building it. There's the the Maori the local iwi of that community the local Maori mm-hmm. community and then the sort of Pākehā community and that's the two main the, at least in, apparently that's what the town is is these two communities right mm-hmm. so um, the process of actually building this tangible thing with this sense of purpose um, and the all the sort of relationships and the sharing of culture and identity that happened um, just had such a, a positive effect and, and it, it created so much opportunity for this positive change is because of this this purpose, this really tangible purpose of improving, of you know building this community physical space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think again, it's just you know uh, beyond just food. There's there's this, I think it's important that we can identify the, a purpose. And if there's a sense of purpose that actually gets people to come to these events mm-hmm. um, and to because you're right, it's, it's uh, we we get stuck into our routines, right? And, mm. And um, we don't naturally uh, we don't naturally go and introduce ourselves to people who look really different to us and who probably have different values to us. Mm-hmm. That's not that's that's a challenge. That's a challenging thing for many people, I think. No, yeah, that is so true. Um, and it's something that I have noticed in my line of work as well. Like at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what. It, like it doesn't have to be food. It literally could be anything. But as long as people are drawn to, oh, like I could do this if they're drawn to what the purpose is doesn't matter what the activity is and then the natural um you know response to that is that people are going to connect together anyway because they're all doing this this thing that has a shared purpose together and then that's where you create opportunities for people to connect like yeah it doesn't really matter what the activity is but um yeah i think food is definitely an important one though we all have to eat at the end of the day and we all have our memories and associations with food. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the um, like sub recommendations under that theme was make use of the arts. 
It was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd love to talk about that a bit more. So sure. Why the arts and what? how would that bring people together? That's a great question. I think, um, I don't know, I think the arts, maybe that's, um, I think it's something that also, uh, so I'm not sure if I mentioned in, in this episode, but um, I'm part of the Baha'i community in New Zealand. And mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things in, in terms of like Baha'i activities, um, we've learned a lot about how valuable the arts is as a part of a learning process or a part of a community building process. Um, the power of like, you know, expressing ourselves creatively, I think is really powerful. And I think we've seen the same uh, in the spaces of the hui, where we have, um, you know, time allocated for creative workshops for, you know, once we've listened to a panel discussion, we've had our small group discussions, we go into spaces where um, uh, young people can then try and creatively express what they've been learning and these, these ideas and, um, yeah, I guess, I don't know, I'm, I mean, I'm no neuroscientist, but, you know, there's a whole thing of mm. the sort of creative and the rational kind of brain, and I think it just, like, it's my personal experience. The arts help me take kind of theoretical concepts and ideas and stuff, and, uh, you know, using the arts to use analogies and metaphors and, um, you know, thinking about how to represent something in an abstract way helps so much in sort of... Uh, strengthening my understanding of that. Mm, I feel that. I feel like, yeah, the arts, whatever medium you choose to use, is just another way of expressing how you understand the world around you. And if you're able to put that out there and other people can understand that and then it leads to them deepening or changing their mind about something else, like, that's how it, that's how it all, like, connects and, and makes sense up, here, up yeah. here in your brain. So, oh, that's really cool. I love how that got included into the discussion. Um, and then we are running out of time but I just wanted to quickly say that the last theme was institutional racism exists and it must be dismantled and it's something that we did talk about before Um, but I I really appreciate that that was also included in the document and I suppose um, my last question to you is what do you hope this um, statement will do what what do you hope the impact of a statement will be? I, I think there's a few hopes, really. I think one of them is, I guess, being realised right now in mm-hmm. our discussion is just people are talking about mm-hmm. these things. People are reflecting on the ideas, um, adding their own ideas, critiquing the ones that are in there, mm-hmm. um, and, and taking it seriously, and, and, and being aware, too, that you know it is um, representative of this group of really passionate young people in New Zealand who really care about this. Um, and so making that voice heard is really important and I think so a second aim is you know this is going to influence policy makers this is going to influence institutions um, you know just a couple of weeks ago uh, we had these brochures in parliament at, during a volunteer there's a sort of evening for um, volunteer week oh, cool. and so we had uh, Takunda speak there give her speech she was one of the finalists um, we had these booklets here for MPs to look at oh, you know wow, we've been talking with politicians um, about these things too and so hopefully uh, at the level of thought um, you know, at that uh, level of policy making as well, the statement is going to have an effect, mm-hmm. um, and and the voice of youth is going to be heard in in that arena as well. Oh, cool! Well, it's a really um, important and relevant document, and I think it brings up really important things that we need to change and talk about. Um, so yeah, so thank you so much for your time today, and um, yeah, thank thanks you so, so much, much for having me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for tuning in, guys. See ya. 
Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.